welcome back to the Next Community Podcast. I am Angelo Luciani along with Laura Whalen. Hello. And from Tech Reckoning, John Troyer. Hey guys, how are you? Good to have you guys. On today's podcast, our guest is Andrew Morgan. He's a end-user computing architect. He is also a Citrix CTP, a Nutanix NTC, and a VMware V-Expert. Yeah, I've, I've known Andrew for many years. Um, I've seen him present really killer sessions at Bryform, Expert to Expert, GeekSpeak, and Synergy, and lots of other events. I'm really pleased he's working closely with Nutanix and that he's part of the NTC program, um, so I can continue to work with him because he's awesome. He's that kind of guy who, who's always ready to jump in to help out and contribute his input and expertise for the benefit of the tech community. Basically, um, you know, he's good people. <laughs> people like that make the community the what it is, right? The real value of the community. Angela and Laura, I thought the interview was really interesting today. Dwayne and Andrew got into uh, their new po- the new EUC podcast that uh, they're doing that Andrew's doing uh, with a lot of Citrix CTP type folks. Uh, they talked about V Workspace. They talked about some Nutanix stuff, and they even gave a review of the vSphere client. Uh, but I'll let people listen on for that. That's great, John. Thanks. So with that, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Next Community Podcast. Today with us, we have an EEC expert with a rap sheet, uh, a mile long of community awards, uh, CTP, V expert, and NTC as well. Speaker at multiple uh, sessions, whether that's um, Bryform or Synergy throughout the world and across many lands, uh, we have with us Andrew Morgan. Thanks for uh, joining today. You're, you're awfully too kind. Uh, thanks very much for having me today. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be on this podcast. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's lucky to have someone that's been so involved in the community, active on Twitter. Yeah, so why don't you just kind of give a brief uh, intro to what you're up to, and and uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. Okay, so uh, as you pointed out, uh, I'm Andrew Morgan. Um, I'm based out of Dublin, Ireland. Uh, I've been doing EUC for the better part of about 12 years now, starting with uh, Metaframe XP. I'm, I'm not old enough to have seen WinFrames, but uh, Metaframe XP was cutting my teeth. Uh, from there, I've uh, worked as a assistant man, a, an IT consultant, a CTO. Uh, I own my own software company, and I uh, currently consult with a company based out of Ireland called Zinope, uh, who are you know Ireland's Citrix Platinum reseller. So yeah, I, I, I try to keep myself busy. I consult and I write software in my free time. Well, I didn't uh, realize you're a CTO, so you have a, a great technical background and, and business skills too, which is a, a great mix. That's interesting, actually. I, I actually dropped that role because I wasn't staying technical enough, so I'm actually back consulting again. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's kind of hard. Well, I wouldn't say it's hard to make the crossover, but if you have a technical itch or yearning, yeah, it, uh, it's good to stay on that side. And that's what I like anyway, working uh, with Nutanix. I love to roll my sleeves up, so you know I like to get out beside the customer to see where the pain is and, and see if I can fix it. You know, uh, CTO, it just didn't suit me all that well at the moment because a lot of vendor meetings and that kind of stuff normally just kind of makes me roll my eyes. So uh, yeah, the consulting thing is it's very much in my blood, and that's where I want to stay for now. I saw someone post a picture. I, I had another meeting that could have been solved by a five-minute email or something along that lines, but I know you've also started um, your own podcast. Um, I think you're two episodes in. Do you want to talk a bit about that and why you got started there? Awesome, yeah. So 
the idea of an EUC podcast was was thrown around for the longest amount of time. And myself and Jerry and Gibson, or Jerry, and it's called him in America. We've been good friends. We've we've conversed on Skype for for years. Uh, we generally talk amongst ourselves about things that we may not want to say in public. I I was on my way back from a rugby match over here um, a couple of months ago, and I had a couple of beers in me. I'll be honest, and I kind of said, you know what? Let's just do it ourselves. Let's just take a take a strand away from UC and, and focus on the people in the community. It was a, it was it was partly to do with trying to maintain a presence when when everybody is so busy. So the podcast was was a, was a hope to maintain a presence too. So yeah, we're we're two episodes in. We were published live. We've got a new one coming out next week where we have a panel of uh, 2015 CTPs awardees talking about kind of how they feel about the about the achievement and what what interested them in the program in the first place and our podcast coming out in two weeks uh, this is an exclusive we have uh, harry labana from vmware talking euc um vmware strategy uh, that kind of stuff and it's a fascinating listen so um i'll make sure to to send it by you when it does come out harry usually is a fascinating listen isn't he <laughs> oh absolutely i uh, Harry is just one of those presences that once you've met him once, you just you know you you always spot him at these events. Um, he's a very fast thinker. He's never underspoken. But if you if you sit down and listen to what he has to say, ninety percent of the time he's on the money, and his career path has just shown that. You know, I mean, he's been you know very senior in Citrix. He's been very senior in Absence. He's yeah, he's, he was in the financial area for a while. Like, wasn't he doing uh, kind of IT solutions for finance and things in the past on Wall Street or something? Yeah, so Goldman Sachs, I think, right? Goldman Sachs was was his original stomping ground. I think that's where he cut his teeth. Uh, originally speaking, I believe he was a sorry, you know, a, a physical chip designer. So uh, it's a it's a it's a fascinating. He he walks you through, in the podcast. He walks you through that story. So um, it, it's it's very very interesting. Sounds like you got a lot of cool guests on there. I'm I'm glad we can help you promote it on here because you know this is all community stuff. Let's let's go back and forth. We'd love to join yours as well. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I mean, obviously, Ace we had was already on from from our side on the last week's episode. Yeah, which uh, I found interesting because I, when I was uh, listening to it, and you had mentioned that you know maybe like seven months ago you haven't really even heard about Nutanix, but uh, here you are now, you're NTC. Um, so, kind of what what made you uh, think uh, Nutanix was doing something interesting? I, I always try to avoid the data center virtualization slash hardware platform slash kind of delivery layer conversation from an EUC perspective because generally speaking that decision wasn't being made in, in my projects by by us it was being made elsewhere so the, the, the while I was very interested in hardware I mean I, I started my career in Dell um, I hadn't really been watching what was going on in that level and then I saw people like David and Case and a number of other people from the Twitter community jumping over to Nutanix and I was like hold on crap I've missed something here this, this, this stuff is really hot I need to start looking and um, I was blown away it's such a clever clever experience and I don't call it a solution it is an experience because I mean you guys are doing everything from tin up and managing it obviously my the partner I'm, I'm, I'm working for at the moment is, is also a Nutanix partner and I get the opportunity to go out to talk to customers about this stuff and they don't believe you at first they don't believe you can have all of this stuff in the box uh, without having to, to pander off to different vendors for different aspects so I was very late to the game I really was um, but when I saw what I could do and what the potentials were for the platform it was um, it was very eye opening to say the least yeah I think you know seeing seeing is believing you mentioned you know you've obviously done a lot of work with Citrix you know what Nutanix does as far as a platform do you see 
a benefit versus going with one broker or the next, or do you kind of see it fairly open, whether it's VMware or Citrix? I don't mind what the platform is. I mean, as far as, you know, if you're deploying Citrix or you're deploying VMware or you're deploying Dell, I mean, or even, you know, if you're crazy enough, Microsoft, the majority of the work in, in our space carries across all of the platforms. Once you understand the architecture of each of the products, setting up the product is, is the easy step. Actually getting the users in, working, and their applications on their desktop is, is, is the tough piece. And that tough piece translates across all of the, um, the platforms. So I'm as happy to work with Citrix and VMware and, and all the other products depending on, on what the customer has, has chosen. Because, I mean, you can't always sell a, a Citrix solution to a, to a VMware house or you can't sell a Microsoft solution to a, to a, to a Citrix house. It's, um, it's down to the customer and what they need. From my point of view, I really don't have a preference. That's great to hear. I think I would uh, agree with those sentiments. It's kind of, they're both different sets of tools, kind of plug them in where you need to. It feels like there's been a reinsurgence with, uh, with RDS. You have VMware coming on strong uh, with theirs. Um, uh, Unidesk is releasing their software for, for RDS um, and Microsoft BDI. What, um, What's your whole take on the marketplace as far as the competitive aspects of, of what's going on? Or what are you seeing? So Citrix were, were very much up there on, on the podium from a, from a remote desktop services uh, delivery point of view. They, they added a lot of value on top of, of RDS up until, up until the last three or four years. Um, but the aggression that VMware are showing is, is a real it's a benefit to both Citrix and VMware customers, if I'm honest, because VMware aren't just chasing parity from a feature point of view. They're bringing products in that, that, that Citrix can't do. The app volumes acquisition, as, as an example, that Citrix weren't doing that, Microsoft weren't doing that, that this was a really clever and strategic decision for them to make, because not only do they have a feature that nobody else has, they are also forcing the vendors to have to parity or you know feature parity on VMware now. So it's it's benefit to everybody because any kind of in- innovation in this space is um, is going to only help the customer because the vendors will start to compete and they have been competing up until now. But with VMware's aggression, I think Citrix really has to be careful here and really stay on the money. Hmm. You know, I guess a uh, high tide floats all boats if that's the saying that works. But uh, you also mentioned. Dell uh, just a little while ago. Um, I think it's probably because of the relationship, the OEM relationship with Dell that Nutanix has now that we're seeing, or at least I'm seeing uh, a lot more workspace, um, view workspace kind of float across the, the internal channels and people looking for help. And, and actually, a lot of it seems to be going the, the Hyper-V way. What, uh, what are your take on, um, on, the, on the product itself? So VWorkspace is, it's a very, very clever product. Um, there's a guy on Twitter, Daniel Bolton, um, who I've been friends with for some time. He's based out of the UK and he went, uh, he went with a full VWorkspace implementation before the acquisition and he, he sung its praises highly. VWorkspace is, a, is an incredibly uh, clever and mature product. It, it, they can do pretty much everything that the other vendors can do. They, they have provisioning like um, Citrix provisioning services uh, in their wide streaming manager. They have um, you know linked clones like VMware and Citrix can do. They have a little bit of end-user computing baked in there. And of course, they're, they're leveraging RDS as well. So the big and key thing about about um, well, I see with with, with V Workspace is it's so cheap as well, like one hundred and fifty bucks, and you can get all of the features, all the functionality, and get the user in onto the platform. I mean, no other other vendor can compete at that uh, at that pr- price point. 
the, the biggest issue with vWorkspace is Dell itself. I've, I think Dell are playing, spending more time playing friends with, with their hardware partners, uh, Citrix and VMware and everybody else, and not pushing vWorkspace as hard as they could. If they were to potentially upset their, their vendor partners and really push vWorkspace to the degree it deserves, I think it could be up there as, as an equal with the, with the, the top two that we've mentioned already. I just think Dell needs to give it a little bit of love and a little bit of marketing because it is a phenomenal product. <laughs> I would, uh, that reminds me, I was, um, is that Citrix Synergy? And um, I remember overhearing for like every $1 that gets spent on EUC software, there's like tens, you know, 9 to $10 spent on, on storage and supporting hardware. So you can, you can see why you, why you wouldn't want to rock the boat too much on, on that side of the vents. Oh, absolutely! Like I'm, I'm sure Dell's Dell's um, Dell server line is their is their cash cow, you know. And it's just a shame that they acquired such a clever product and aren't pushing it to its full potential, in my opinion. Um, because as I said, I, I I am a closet fan of V Workspace. Hell, though, I'm out of the closet with V Workspace. I love it. I t- I think it's so clever. I've been kicking the tires of it for the last couple of months. Just you know, in my spare time, seeing what it can and can't do. And um, as I mentioned, at that price point, it does pretty much everything that the other ones can do and it's it's a force to be reckoned with they just need to push it yeah i think even in the new in the new line they have um the requirement for sc sccvm actually goes away so you don't even need that license anymore to get a deployment up and going well that's it scvmm has kind of always been a dirty word to me i i I really dislike the product in in every facet it's it's um it's a very difficult product to work with it bugs out for the strangest reasons and the requirement for it in in zen desktop always gets my backup i try to avoid hyper-v implementations for that reason it's yeah it's it's not a friendly console and anything that that one can do to avoid that console is only value add (laughs) yeah i've heard it from uh, more than more than one person so i think it was a couple weeks ago our CEO Daraj had uh, kind of let the bag out of the cat as far as the the community edition. You probably get some more inside information than most, being uh, NTC. You know, as we approach the the community next con- or the next conference coming up in June, what are uh, what are you hoping to see from the the community edition? So, obviously, without saying too much, because I know there's a lot of detail that that's under NDA with the community edition. Um, the challenge with getting people to live, love, and, and breathe uh, Nutanix is that you, you kind of need to have the hardware to see that benefit from from an outsider point of view. The community edition is going to bridge that absolutely, allowing them to to test, try, and and see just why the product is so clever and, and why the the platform prism and everything else is is just the 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 bee's knees to use a twenties quote. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the community edition is really exciting because. It allows people to, to kick the tires off the product. It allows them to build their own hyper-converged little lab at home. Or, you know, if not, if they have their own servers and work, to play with the product until they can justify the reasons why they may want to move to this at a certain point. It's a, it's, it's a great initiative. And even even from my, my software company side of things, I'm currently you know in the quote process with Nutanix. We are a... We are a very small software company. Um, there's, there's about nine or ten of us at most, four or five of us at any given day, and we have a slight on-site requirement for some hardware. And I was thinking to myself, do I want to build a white box? Do I want to plug in a NAS of some description? How am I going to manage all this? What if something goes wrong? What are my SLAs? And it, it, the light bulb just went off my head, and I said, you know what? I need to buy something from Nutanix here because I want a single vendor to support it. I want it so that it can scale and grow, and I don't want to interconnect stuff that may not have been designed to interconnect 
product in the first place. So yeah, I'm, I'm actually in the in the process from a software company side of things of becoming a customer too. So it's 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 that kind of thing that you know when people can sit down and play with the community edition, they'll say, actually, you know what, this this suits a lot of purposes for me. Yeah, I totally get that. I know internally, I think there's like a, a mixed bag just because some of the the value of being a uh, converged solution is that you kind of you stop yourself from being the engineer, so you can kind of know you have the support and kind of work on the higher up of the stack. So it'll be very interesting to me to how it all uh, how it all plays out, and you kind of look at other vendors how their their community additions have have gone or if people are using them. Um, I know I like probably about two years ago downloading the the Ninxenta, uh community edition. I never did get it going, but <laughs> I tried it anyway. But um, that was more more of a time commitment than uh, the product itself. So you know what it is? is um, so the, speaking from purely a labbing point of view, and that's what a lot of us in the community do. We build our little white box servers and we buy our little NAS and we stick our drives in and, and buy our switches and we kick the tires of products out there. What I love about the, the approach with the community edition is you don't need to worry about what NAS you're going to buy. You don't need to worry about how you're going to tier your data or anything like that. The community edition will just take care of that for you. You buy a couple of white box servers, stick in some SSDs, stick in some local disks and have at it. No more worrying about all that additional fluff that you, you may have needed beforehand. Um, I, I think it's brilliant. And f- from my own kind of lab builds of you know the three or four renditions I've done, if, if a product like this was available to me back then, I know I wouldn't be sitting with about six Synology boxes in my office at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, I think that must be uh, that's a record from from other community people. I think as far as uh, Synology goes. Oh, I, I went. I, I got fed up towards my last purchase, and I went with a twelve bay, and I just stuck it full of cheaper SSDs. And um, the only thing that is my bottleneck now is actually my one gig switch. So I'm upgraded to ten gig at the moment. Wow, um, pretty beefy uh, network anyway for the home lab. <laughs> You know, kind of on the same run of community edition and, and build it yourself. Um, be reminisced not to have a EUC person on and kind of talk of a, another uh, build it fun boy thing, and that's Linux desktops. I think Citrix kind of announced it first, and then VMware followed support, saying they were going to do it. What's your take on on Linux desktops? Is there would people even use them today? Do you see a lot of value for it? So I'll actually I'll actually counter with uh, with a funny uh, situation. Quest V Workspace already has it and has had it for years. So um, <laughs> from from a, from a V Workspace point of view, yeah, they're kind of already there. Obviously, it's sitting on the the, the V Expert uh, EUC and the Citrix CDP, we kind of get we get get a view of what each vendor is doing, and um, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I can and can't talk about from, from that regards. But I can tell you that the two vendors have a completely different approach for this. One is very much looking at uh, apps and, and potentially graphical workloads, and the other is focusing on the the um, you know lower cost of entry desktop space. So I absolutely see that that value. So starting with the lower cost of desktop, I mean, if you can provide a task worker, maybe even a knowledge worker, with a free office suite, a browser, and some files without the cost of VDA on their own isolated little machine. Why wouldn't you, you know? Uh, it, the, Linux's biggest problem is Linux. Uh, they can't decide on anything. I mean, the fact that we have at least two accepted shells is, is a prime example of that. They, with a little bit of direction, it could be so much better. But, you know, that's, that's just what Linux is. They develop things themselves, and they, they like different shells. Some parts of the team like... Um, oh, the, the name escapes me now. Uh, KDE and the other type like, uh, you know, the other one. Linux desktops has a big 
potential in education. It has a big potential for people who want to run low-cost desktops. It has a big potential in markets, emerging markets like China. It is a big, big use case. And um, I don't think people see the value at the moment, but I think they will as, as the vendors begin to support it. I think, uh, I think some of the problem with Linux desktops, people have probably tried once or twice to save the money with you know, open office and then all these other compatibility issues um, spring up. Even though you, you like to poke fun at Microsoft for all of the things they've done, <laughs> done to you, um, they do actually have some, some value. I think, so that's probably where I would think um, maybe it hasn't succeeded. I don't know if that, that's right or not. But The thing about the compatibility issue, so previously, you know, Internet Explorer is always going to be a bugbear for, lo- for large enterprise because they developed a lot of stuff based on Internet Explorer as the primary browser and trying to get away from that, as, as most enterprises are currently feeling, is, is difficult. Um, with regards to Office, there were rumors flying at the end of last year that there was a Linux version of Office coming. So I think that could ease that burden a little. Uh, now, it was a rumor, so there's no guarantee that it is actually going to happen. But it's there. So that rumor could, you know, in theory, quell that issue. And then, of course, you've got to consider that ZenApp and RDS and all the rest, they're there to deliver Windows applications. So where you have a situation where you want to go Linux VDI, but you have one or two Windows applications that you're not going to get away from anytime soon. Well, you know what? Just use ZenApp or use RDS to push that application into that Linux desktop. Yeah, yeah. And hurrah, you still, you still have that saving, you know? I was just gonna just gonna bring that up too. <laughs> Cockroaches in Windows always going to be around. Oh, that was yeah. I believe that quote was from Sean Bass, and yeah, the, the, mm. the, it's uh, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, after a nuclear holocaust, holocaust <laughs> things that'll be left will be cockroaches and Windows applications. <laughs> and he's so true. As he's so right as always, is Sean. It's going to be there. Yeah, Sean's worked in some pretty big environments, and you know, if you, especially in like the financial sector, it's crazy to think, but people are still developing. The oldest of old applications, it's crazy to think about. I know from healthcare it was bad, but I think uh, <laughs> financials worse. The, they, there's really no urgency to change it if it, unless it's going to be faster and save money somehow. Other than that, it's going to be there until, until forever. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm, I'm actually working with a financial at the moment um, who is still developing an application based on Windows, uh, Internet Explorer 8 that has plugins for Java, which is a, a lower version, which also requires LibreOffice. So yeah, I absolutely hear you. Trying to get these guys to change their their train of or train of thought is is is, is very difficult. Um, generally speaking, if you need to make a line of or a, a code change with those, you really have to have a good justification. Speaking of of Java and switching over to the lack of Java, uh, what were your initial impressions when you kind of popped in your head into uh, to Prism, the UI for Nutanix? I'll go straight out on the, on the on a limb here and say I absolutely hate web consoles uh, for the most part. Uh, there were many examples of that, and I can only think think of three vendors who have done it correctly. And uh, that would be Nutanix, that would be App Volumes, and that would be Splunk. Aside from that, I really really hate using a web browser for for an application console, and that's a credit to Prism because it is exactly what it says in the tin. It is fast, it is light, it shows you everything you need to see, but you don't feel as if you're getting that clunky browser experience. If that's fair to say, yeah, kudos to the the UI team because yeah, I for the most part like the you know I know vSphere six is around the corner, going to be GA soon, but yeah, I still. I still like to right-click on things and get submenus, but uh, yeah, they've done a, a pretty good job. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
I believe vSphere 6 is you know they're obviously going to be shipping the web console and they like to do a lot more in the web console than others but I believe the uh, the GUI console is still supported in vSphere 6 but it is going away in the next release and we've heard that before so my, my biggest bugbear with VMware consoles is the requirement for flash uh, I'll be brutally honest I don't, I don't like that every time you use a, a web based application for flash the mouse feels like it's in molasses and that, that clock that Flash uses when, when things are loading, very, very annoying too. So <laughs> the, the VMware's web consoles aren't the best. Um, but if you really want pain, try using Netscaler and Java prior to version 10.5. It was actually, uh, John Troyer had a, a good thing on Twitter kind of describing, you know, why, why it is that way. Just that their VMware's code passers so far, their development cycles of, right, they have like three or four releases already baked. So it'll take a while for that thing to, uh, to get sorry, but it looks like they've they've made some strides anyway, um, according to what I've seen on Twitter. I don't so much dislike the VMware console in the sense that like, it, you can get your way around um, the vSphere web console. You know, you know where stuff is laid out. It's just that flash requirement. It's just it's slow and it's a bit clunky. And similarly with with Horizon View as well, it, moving it away from Flash would just make everything feel a lot better because f- f- when you end up in a Flash web application, you feel like you're working in a Java application. It just doesn't quite feel fast as your mouse would be if you weren't in another uh, if you were in a client based app or Prism for argument's sake. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think you'll get anyone arguing you with that. Um, as we kind of come near near the end, uh, and Bry Forum is approaching, did you did you manage to s- squeeze in a speaking session this year? So yeah, I'm a little busy this year. Uh, I've uh, committed to two Bry Forum sessions, and both were accepted. Yay! So I'm Congratulations. doing. A, I'm doing a te- thank you. Uh, I'm doing a tech bake off with uh, Jarian and. Shane Kleinert on kind of Horizon versus uh, versus the Zen Desktop Suite. What what features are there? What features are parity? And what features are missing? I'm looking forward to that one because I, I I like to do sessions where I actually have to go and look and maybe discover something that I haven't seen before, or there may be a new feature that I wasn't aware of. So I do like those um, those uh, uh, kind of sessions. I also am doing one with Case in Bryform London where this is a funny story Case has been bugging me for years to to write a best practices uh, analysis tool where you can plug in your best practices via XML for Zen Desktop or Zen App or FEM or Horizon or anything like that and um you know, you can run it on the machine, have it rectify everything, justify why it's a best practice, blah blah blah. Uh, and I've always said, yeah, yeah, no problem, I'll start that. And then crickets, tumbleweeds blow by, and then case <laughs> may ask me about six months later, and I go, yeah, I, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Um, so the conversation came up again while myself and Jarian were spe- speaking to Case, and I said, right, fine, you know what, you've you've got me now, you've worn me down, I'll just finish it now. And he decided to tag it to a bright form session. So when the Bryform announcements came out two or three days ago, I got a text, I got an SMS from, from Case saying, check your Skype. And I thought to myself, oh, God, no, they've accepted the session. I'm going to have to write this application now. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some, some miracles happen, you know, days or hours before people's session. It's amazing. There's some definitely technical talent that ends up there. Yeah, so congrats on that again. Actually, I wasn't even, I had no idea um, who or what was accepted. I just knew that I wasn't even going to try to apply. It's uh, Our anniversary always falls on the the American bar form, and I went last year, and uh, I don't. I wasn't brave enough to uh, do that again. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, with uh, with that, I'd like to thank you again. I know Nate, uh, where, where you're at, maybe just uh, we'll know where we can find you again online and where we can hear um, your podcast as well. 
Sure. So um, I'm on my my blog is uh, andrewmorgan.ie. Um, on Twitter, I'm Andy J Morgan, uh, and my podcast is FrontlineChatter.com. Well, uh, thanks again. Have a good weekend, and we'll uh, see you online. Thank you very much for having me, and happy Friday, guys. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow Nutanix on Twitter for the latest news and announcements. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you're so inclined, please review or rate us on iTunes. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or have a topic idea, let us know at community at Nutanix.com. I am Angela Luciani. I'm Laura Whalen. And I'm John Mark Troyer. See you next time. <laughs>